0: Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.
1: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com.
2: You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
1: This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With J.P. McNamara on C103. Cross Screen!
3: And good morning, our lines are open with Bernie and Sadie taking your calls today on 1850 333 103. You can text or WhatsApp 086 103 103. You can always tweet us this morning at c103cork or email jp at c103.ie ahead on this morning's show. Well, many of our callers yesterday thought he would not go of his own accord, but he did last night and confirmed by a spokesperson just shortly after 7 o'clock uh, that the, the incoming Phil Hogan was going to resign and step down from his role in Europe. He did that and now last night obviously there was another interview carried out he spoke uh, to RTE in Brussels and within that he did say and this was obviously after mounting pressure over his actions and movements around him coming back to Ireland and Golfgate but he did insist that he broke no law or regulation in relation to COVID-19. And if you saw that particular interview, he said that a number of times and kept going back to the issue that he did not break any law or regulation. Uh, He says anyway, he he states that himself uh, in relation to the restrictions in place. And he did keep referring to that in that particular interview. But nonetheless, he has now left that particular role and resigned from that job. So the move now is on to see who indeed can Ireland keep that particular role? first of all uh, because of everything going on with the Brexit at the moment can we keep that huge um, important portfolio for trade Uh, we heard yesterday from the ICSA how they were saying this is very important now we need someone in there at the table who understands the relationship between Ireland and the UK we need to discuss tariffs we need to uh, discuss the various industries such as beef, cheese and all of that so while some farming groups wanted Phil Hogan to stay. The majority wanted him to go. So now even the government uh, did say and and wanted him to leave. The three party leaders in government said that yesterday. They came out yesterday evening saying that the correct course of action was taken by Phil Hogan resigning. But who now could enter his role Looking last night on the European Commission website and the EU website, there's a a lot of various steps uh, they must go through to get to become a commissioner and to be the next trade commissioner. It would be a decision uh, that could take a number of months, uh, definitely a number of weeks. Anyhow, things may be half, I don't know, can they fast track? But because of the seriousness of Brexit, uh, they do need to look at this straight away. Uh, The attention here on who could replace Phil in Europe is looking towards Simon. Coveney here of course in Cork South Central Uh, the Fine Gael uh, deputy also Mairead McGuinness has been mentioned and the former commission official David O'Sullivan there's some of the names tipped Uh, just going back to Simon Coveney if he did get that particular role it would force a by-election in Cork South Central and interesting then to see uh, what would happen who would Fine Gael run the obvious choice so they have a number of choices but one of those would be their current senator Jerry Boshimer uh, but uh, obviously he again was caught up with Golfgate so would Fine Gael run him would he want to run would he remain as a senator uh, because with everything going on you would imagine uh, that things might not go in his favour if he was to run now on those asking us uh, will Jerry Bottomer speak out on this have you contacted him we did when the whole thing kicked off last week we asked him to come on and we asked him again yesterday would he join us on the programme but he said for the moment anyhow he is not doing any interviews if that changes though we will let you know Uh, that's the latest on that situation but what will happen and who can replace Phil Hogan who do you think is our best choice in Europe that's if someone from Ireland will get that particular portfolio there's also a talk uh, and there's a statement coming in, in the next few minutes, from the EU Commission, because the, the Commission President Ursula von der Leer, she said, uh, while she wished him well, this could spark changes in all the commissioners in Europe maybe if there was somebody they felt was underperforming could there be a shuffle with the commissioners in Europe so anything is likely to happen over the next number of days we'll wait and see what will happen there and your thoughts and comments are welcome who should replace him from an Irish point of view 1850 also ahead on the programme today and by the way we'll be speaking shortly with the Irish Farmers Journal on that but also ahead on the programme we heard all week from parents who were concerned about their children returning to school and while some returned yesterday and on Tuesday we did hear from parents who I know Anya contacted us on Wednesday morning her 8 year old son I think it was went to school on Tuesday for a few hours she was up in a heap she said very nervous very anxious but he went in and he was fine and he came home smiling and happy and did not take any notice, was happy to meet his friends. So from that point of view, she wanted to let us know for other parents who were concerned that there is a positivity there and her child it didn't affect him one bit. So that uh, was an ease to her, she said, f- from her anxiety over her child returning to school. But people are nervous, uh, more so those who have elderly parents living with them or those themselves or somebody in the household who has an underlying health condition and then you have a child or a number of kids going back into the classroom. We'll be discussing that with the National Parents Council primary this morning on the show. Also various uh, out there uh, in in the papers and whatnot, and what should happen in the school, what should not happen in the school, school transport and all of that. So your views are welcome. Uh, We're also going to be hearing from the National School in Donnerill who returned this morning. We'll hear from their school principal and indeed parents at that particular school. Our reporter Katie O'Keefe was in Donnerill this morning for us. We're also going to hear the concerns of SNAs who despite being ill have been told, and many of those SNAs have underlying health conditions also, but they have been told they must return to work. We'll speak with their trade union, Forsa, on the show this morning. And you may have seen on the news last night as well because the HSC Chief Executive Paul Reid, along with Neffet, appeared before the Doll Covid Committee yesterday. And while they were in that particular committee, uh, there's a worry. First of all, Minister for Health Stephen Donnelly has warned the state is at tipping point And that the coronavirus pandemic is close to having us in lockdown as a country again. He was speaking yesterday at that particular event also speaking, uh, were nephish, and they were concerned at the rise in numbers in Cork for COVID over the last number of weeks. So discussing exactly what was mentioned at that particular meeting yesterday, did they mention, for example, the anger in the Midlands? I know people in the Midlands very angry over the fact that direct provision and meat factories wasn't spoken about a number of months ago when this was an issue raised. People in the Midlands felt they were being locked down because uh, the issue in meat factories and direct provision wasn't addressed, and while they understand that those in meat factories and direct provision would be going to a shop and mingling in the community, and the lockdown might uh, had to occur because of that, if they dealt with it beforehand, it may not have had to occur. And was it, were, were they discussed as well? Uh, two outstanding uh, things that are always we get calls on here that, but we don't hear a lot about them discussed in these particular committees in a public manner. Anyhow, so that we'll hear about that. It was Deputy McBarry uh, from Cork was at that yesterday. He'll join us later after eleven. Also, our Garda file. Uh, this morning and we'll have pet advice later after 12.30 with Jane so if there's a, a pet in your household you have a question about you can call us Jane will be along after 12.30 18.50 333103 text or whatsapp 0862103103 <laughs> C103 18.50 333103 our lines are open Bernie and Sadie taking your calls this morning and while many were saying yesterday that a commissioner well the former commissioner Phil Hogan that he would not go and nothing will happen of course we know now yesterday evening he did resign the government, saying it was the correct course of action. I'm joined now by Pat O'Toole, who is a news correspondent with the Irish Farmers' Journal. Pat, good morning to you.
4: Morning, John Paul.
3: Uh, thanks for joining us, Pat. While many wanted him to go, uh, now there's a question, because I know yesterday we were speaking to the ICSA and they were hoping that he would stay because at the moment we're in negotiations with regards to Brexit. And they said, though... Those particular negotiations with regards to trade and how England and the UK and Ireland would operate, uh, him not being there could be a bad move for Ireland. So while some are welcoming him gone, others feel this could be a negative. Uh, what are you hearing there from this morning from the farming community?
2: Well, I think um, uh, there's two separate things to un- unpick there and work through, and um, like, whether it was the correct thing or not. That's, a, um, I suppose, it became inevitable. Uh, The Irish government had publicly stated that they'd lost confidence in him. Uh, As early as last Friday evening, they had called on him to consider his position, which is code for uh, resign. So um, his position ultimately became untenable. uh, Once Ursula van der Leyen had not publicly backed him, yesterday, through her spokesperson um, in yesterday's press conference, she reserved her position. And I think at that stage, Phil Hogan realised that his position was untenable and that uh, in order to prevent further damage uh, to his own reputation and to uh, Ireland's reputation in Brussels, he needed to step down, and he did. Um, it is certainly damaging uh, to Ireland's interests. It's very difficult to see us retain the trade portfolio, and everything that the ICSA said yesterday is absolutely true uh, in terms of uh, in terms of Brexit, uh, The negotiations are going very badly. Michel Barnier is the lead Brexit negotiator for the European Union. But you can't hurl off a haywick, uh, as we say up here in Wexford, and basically um, the British are not engaging. Uh, It seems the British government want to crash out, which means we automatically are triggered into WTO rules on this island, on the border, and when we trade east-west with the British mainland. And um, that basically means... uh, tariffs, it means that if standards are not equivalent, and trade is uh, largely about standards, and if, you're, if uh, Europe has very high standards, especially for food production, so if the UK were to do a deal with, say, uh, the United States on chlorinated chicken, um, on hormone and beef, uh, that is, uh, those are food products that are forbidden in the EU. And um, we would have to have some system in place to ensure they didn't come into Europe through the land border uh, on this island or through our ports. So to think that we can have frictionless borders is almost impossible. To think that the WTO uh, uh, scenario is not a disaster for both the UK and for Ireland uh, is to be, it's a misjudgment because uh, it will be an absolute disaster. It's not as bad for Europe in general. Uh, Ireland is more dependent on our trading relationship with Britain than Europe in general is. Uh, we're out on the far side of, of Europe where we're, um, the United Kingdom is a barrier between ourselves and mainland Europe. So Phil Hogan's sense of all that, when well, he represents the European Union as a commissioner, um, as will our next commissioner, his sense of his understanding of the Irish position and the Irish predicament in relation to Brexit would mean that no matter how the British refused to engage, he would stay there and he would ensure that the negotiations continued and that at some point, either before Christmas or after a crash-out, that we would uh, develop and build a new and sensible trading relationship. Uh, So that's the loss, and it is very hard to calculate Um, we, We will never know how things would have gone if he'd stayed. He's gone now. The trade portfolio is probably gone as well, and we'll have to deal with the consequences.
3: And you mentioned there, Pat, regarding the trade and the, the WTO and, and what could happen. I know the ICSC and other farmers onto us yesterday felt uh, what you mentioned there, it could set Ireland back to the 1980s or, or worse again, uh, further back, because we have such a huge amount of food and an agri-production level here in this country and so many working in that particular area. It would have a, a ripple off to other sectors.
2: Yeah, 175,000 jobs in the agri-food sector. Um, half our beef goes to the United Kingdom. About um, like 60% of our cheddar, which is a staple product uh, for our dairy sector. Uh, there's huge movement of milk, sheep and pigs in particular up and down across the border. Um, and it's not just about the economics. It's also a political uh, um, conundrum. It's, I mean, uh, the consequences uh, on this island... Uh, for stability uh, around the necessity to put some kind of checks in place on the border uh, are concerning. And um, I'm not quite sure how that will play out. But it's about more than economics. Brexit is going to bring a change in the political dynamic between Britain and Europe and between Britain and Ireland as well. And we've got to remember that right through the peace process, it was seen that our joint membership of the European Union was a key driver um, uh, and accommodator of the peace process right from the start. Uh, I'm not suggesting that we're going to return to, to violence, but we are going to have political instability, that's for sure.
3: Yeah, and if we are trading uh, with someone, especially in the border counties, uh, when you travel five minutes and you're in a different jurisdiction and then you're ch- changing tariffs and you're you're going with different rules. It will have an implication, surely it will. And, and you're correct in saying that. And we've seen that over the last while, uh, just at the start of the discussion of Brexit, not in mind now when we're actually going through it. Uh, so while the attention now, Pat, turns to who will replace Phil Hogan, there's no guarantee we actually will, uh, that an Irish person will be at the table at that particular portfolio for trade there's also talks of a a shuffle a reshuffle of commissioners in Europe but there is a number of names still being mentioned from Ireland that could be sent to Europe the likes of Simon Coveney and Murray McGuinness.
2: Yeah, um, Simon Coveney is an obvious contender Uh, he is well regarded in Europe, he was an MEP and then as Minister for Agriculture he was the chair of the Ministerial Council and in that uh, position uh, in 2013 brokered the uh, current cap deal, um, so uh, that makes sense. There's one issue though. Um, uh, Simon is a TD in Cork South Central, which is Michael Martin's own constituency, and Finucane and Finucane will both um, look on a by-election in that constituency with a certain amount of trepidation. I would think in the current political climate, um, it would be an embarrassment. At the very least, for the Taoiseach to lose a by election in his own constituency. Similarly, for Fine Gael to lose their seat in Corkside Central, uh, where they had three seats at one stage with Deirdre Clune and Jerry Buttermore, if, if memory serves. Um, Jerry Buttimer would have been an obvious candidate, but he also attended Golfgate and has resigned as last the doll. So that's an issue. Uh, um, all politics, in part, is local. Uh, Mairead McGuinness brings no such baggage because as an MEP, she would automatically be replaced from the substitutes list that every MEP uh, has. So uh, she is the senior vice president of the European Parliament. She's very well regarded in Brussels. She's got a strong media profile in the United Kingdom and within the commission, maybe someone who can speak to the British people um, about the realities of the negotiations from the European side. So that would be attractive. Um, but you're right, because of the process, Ireland nominates Commissioner, they have to be ratified, they will be scrutinised and ratified by both the, the relevant Parliamentary Committee of the European Parliament and the Parliament itself. It doesn't uh, re from its summer recess until the 14th of September. So we're looking at a time lag of at least three weeks, and more likely a month, before the Irish Commissioner is ratified. I can't imagine Ursula van der Leyen being comfortable about leaving the trade portfolio vacant for that length of time.
3: Very true. And, and looking at the website last night from the EU, it does take a long time for that to be ratified. So it isn't something that is going to happen uh, straight away, or something that would happen like an election whereby one person leaves and another person comes in. And there's no guarantee that it could be the trade portfolio. If there is a reshuffle, things could totally change. So uh, there could, there could be a total different scenario in three weeks' time than we have now, and in the long run, could have a negative impact for Ireland.
2: Um, it, it it's it's unlikely that the trade portfolio will be retained for Ireland. The other, the political dimension, I would imagine that Ursula van der Leyen is fuming with Ireland at the moment, fuming with Phil Hogan for uh, his misjudgments, uh, for his um, the, attending the golf dinner, for the way he was travelling around the country without due regard to the COVID regulations that everybody uh, has been doing their best to observe, the lack of solidarity he showed, and the fact that he had to pay for that with his position for the Irish government, perhaps for leaving the charge on uh, on putting pressure on him for uh, declaring that he needed to consider his position last Friday, which is code for uh, resign in Irish politics, for the fact that uh, they, uh, Eamon Ryan yesterday said that they'd lost confidence in him, which really forced Phil Hogan's hand, Ursula van der Leyen's hand, she couldn't declare confidence in him yesterday when the Irish government had uh, had declared no confidence in him. So I would imagine that Ursula van der Leyen is not in a good humour with Ireland at the moment. And uh, while she will understand that he, in the end he had to go, uh, she won't be disposed to leaving that portfolio in abeyance to suit the Irish position.
3: Yeah, very true. And I think Europe as a whole won't be impressed with Ireland because I know the last number of days at the press conferences, it kept coming up about Phil Hogan and matters they wish to get out there and discuss with the media and others in Europe that was overtaken again by Phil Hogan. So I would imagine, yeah, that they're not too happy at the moment with us here in Ireland and Phil Hogan. Uh, And we'll have to wait and see, I suppose, over the next number of weeks what will happen with regards to that. For the moment, Pat, we have to leave it there. But thanks for joining us this morning on that particular issue. That is Pat O'Toole there, a news correspondent, in the Irish Farmers Journal uh, speaking to us this morning on that and your views are welcome 1850 333 text or WhatsApp 086-2103-103 uh, a lot of comments in on this uh, just some of them for the moment first of all this text saying I think the right person for the trade job would be Indy Kinney I'm not a big fan of his but he is the right man for the job and they seem to love him in Brussels says that particular texter while Andy in Newmarket says Leo Riker would be the ideal candidate to replace Phil Hogan while Conan Bantier uh, says, Well, you asked about Phil Hogan's departure. Well, he didn't have much choice, but he's still lying as he did break the rules. A lot of people picking up on that, that he said uh, he did not. And he insisted again in that interview last night, he said it three or four times. He insisted he broke no law or regulation in relation to COVID-19. Uh, but of course, he did uh, break restrictions when you uh, read uh, the, the actual laws here for someone coming into Ireland from outside uh, the particular country, which we explained on the show yesterday while John and Kilty says on Phil uh, who was now sulking and resigning he still said he broke no law Phil wake up Outside of Covid, you were driving while on a mobile phone. So you did break a law, says John in Clonical D. on text to 0862 More of your calls and comments on Phil Hogan and him resigning. What now uh, for the trade situation with Europe? Discussing that uh, across the show this morning. But next, we want to go to the situation with our schools reopening. We'll speak with the National Parents Council primary on the show next.
1: Court today on C one oh three. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103.
3: As schools return this week, some parents have contacted us feeling anxious about children returning to the classroom. Well, Ollie Lynch of the National Parents Council Primary joins me on this this morning. Good morning to you, Anya.
5: Good morning.
3: And thanks for joining us. I mean, you'll be well aware of parents as well who were worried on their child or children returning to the classroom. But it's fair to say schools have acted the best they can over the last number of weeks. And speaking to parents over the last two days uh, from children who have gone back into the school, uh, overall, everybody is happy, especially the child. Uh, There seems to be no complaints on the child's part anyhow.
5: No, exactly, and I think children were, were really eager and eager to get back to school. I mean, I, I think the, the other important thing to say is that anxiety is normal. I mean, we, we've all been kind of cocooned in our homes over the last number of months, and I think when you start getting back to that normality, it can sometimes be difficult to even remember what normal was. So I think anxiety about the unknown, it, it, it is very normal, and, and people should you know, expect some level of, of, of anxiety about going back in. So... If it's a parent or it's a child and there's some anxiety, that's okay. But I think as children return and as parents... um See their children when they come back out of school and see how much they've enjoyed it and I think schools have put a huge amount of work in across the country in terms of putting in all the new guidance and making sure that the schools are safe. so I think, as you say that when, when the last couple of days when children have started back they they really enjoyed it and and enjoyed reconnecting with their friends, but also reconnecting with their teachers and the school and getting some sense of routine back.
3: And from your own point of view and even uh, and parents in general, do you think the communication from the Department of Education wasn't enough on the return to school? I know there was websites set up and everything, but did they do enough for parents? Well, look,
5: there has been a huge amount of communication. I think in terms of parents, there was, there was a, a, a lot of... Documents on the website for parents, but I think parents needed the the communication mainly from their child's school because although the guidance is at a national level how that guidance is implemented is very different in different schools so I think the guidance coming from the school is the most important information for the parent and for the child so
3: yeah, and on a difference
5: around the country that you know whether you're in a big school with lots of entrances and exits or whether you're in a, a little school with maybe one entrance and a, and a fire exit will make a huge difference as to how that guidance would be implemented.
3: Yeah, because obviously the principals will know the school probably the best out of everybody. Uh, but on, on that particular issue of guidance for parents, a number of parents have been in touch with us because they're reading things in the papers and online and they're hearing doctors ditching out advice, for example, to keep the windows open in the schools and keep the children inside wearing their coats. And the other thing parents are concerned about is the school school uniforms. Some feel, uh, do they have to wash them every evening after they return from school and th- they don't know what answer? Just, they're getting some schools are saying no and some schools are leaving it up to the parents
5: yeah I mean the, the, it's very very clear on the school uniforms there's no guidance to, to, to say that parents should wash the school uniforms every evening and in fact the guidance is to, to to return to school as normal as possible and and that includes the school uniform wear the school uniform if the schools kept the school uniform in place but there's no guidance and and never has been um, since the beginning of this pandemic that people needed to wash their clothes more regularly, and that applies to children in school as well. Um, but I think I think you have um, kind of hit the nail on the head there, is that there's so much information coming from so many different places, so many different people in so many different expertise, and it kind of leaves parents in a bit of a spin. But I think what, what the, the clear advice from us is that you need to listen to your school. Your school is getting all the direction from the Department of Education, the Department of Education is getting the direct the direction from the public health experts. So, you know, that, that's, that's where the the advice needs to be listened to. If you feel that there's something happening that's not right in your school or that they've missed something, then contact your school and have a conversation with the school about it. Because when when you do that, it could be something that's been simply overlooked, or it could be that there's a very good reason why your child's school is doing something differently, and they'll be able to explain that to you. So I think the communication between home and school is absolutely vital, because the school needs to know about what's happened for your child in the home over the last five or six months if, if something significant has happened that school need to know but also you as a parent need to know exactly how your child's school is implementing the guidance in your child's school because it will be very different in different schools and I think one of the things that can happen in, in, in normal times is that parents will hear of something that's happening in the school down the road and think well why is my child's school not doing that but I think under these circumstances every school will be having to implement the guidance that's specifically to their school layout, the, the children that they have in the school, the teachers that they have in the school, um, and taking into consideration all of those local contexts. So it will be different on a school-to-school basis.
3: And the other concern then from parents, and this is probably across the board in workplaces as well, not just schools, but on the on the parents' side of things, for a child going to school later on, we all know uh, most of us will get a sniffle or a cough come October, November as the weather changes, and that's only natural. But no one's going to know if it's COVID related related or not at the moment, and most people are being told stay away if you have any type of a sniffle or any symptom like that. So, what do parents do in that situation in the morning going to school? You're putting on the uniform, and then you realise your child has a sniffle or has been coughing overnight. Uh, Obviously, they they realise they can't send them to school, but it is going to cause complications for parents with work and also for the school indeed. And there's a lot of worry and parents are anxious over that at the moment.
5: Yeah, well, new guidance has been recently issued around this, and if, if the child is sneezing or is runny nose, the guidance from, from the GPs is that, uh, the GPs is that those children can still attend school. Now, all of that guidance is on our website, mpc.ie, but it's also on gov.ie as well, uh, under what circumstances parents can send their children and what circumstances they shouldn't so a new cough a temperature they're the reasons why parents should keep their children at home but if it's just a runny nose and a bit of a sneeze then that, that that is now considered to be okay to send the child to school so again though I think the communication between home and school is going to be vital and also making sure that you get medical advice I mean ring in your GP if you have any concerns at all if you have any queries or questions um in in the morning is is a really important thing to do
3: And again, you keep mentioning there about the school. It is good to touch base with your own school because while the regulations are on the website, every school is different and everybody will handle it differently within the school and the layout of the school. So uh, while people are concerned, the best thing to do is contact the principal and they're there to take the answers and to ease the anguish that parents are feeling at the moment because there will be confusion and and there will be questions asked over the next number of weeks because while you're going back to school in a normal way for the child, the parents still are wondering as I mentioned there, uh, while the guidance is there regarding sniffles and coughs uh, you will be questioning yourself when a child does pick up that sniffle or cough it's it's normal to do that prior prior to Covid not a mind now
5: Exactly and I think communication is really important I think to the vast majority of of parents in the school, the information that the school has already sent out to them and the information on the school website, so it's really important to check the website as well, will be all the information they need. But for some parents, because of individual circumstances within their families or with their children, They will need to get further information and have a two-way conversation with the school. So it's really important that they can do that and and really important that they keep the school informed with what's happening. But also to remember that the the school aren't the medical experts either. So the GP is really important if parents have concerns about um, a health issue.
3: Yeah, very true. And overall, from your own involvement with the National Parents Council Primary, I know, as I said, we're hearing students are happy to go back. Are you hearing that as well? And are parents getting more relaxed as the schools return over the
5: last number of days? I mean, I think children um really are very, very happy to go back and really um eager to reconnect with their, their school friends and, and the school generally. And I think, you know, the the, the going back is, is you no know, more than people going back to work. There's always a little bit of anxiety at the beginning. And as I said uh, at the beginning of this interview, that's normal. So, so don't, you know, don't worry about that. I think without COVID, parents would have anxieties about their children starting school and friends and all of these kind of things so we've just got those anxieties a little bit heightened now because because of the new circumstances that we're under but I think as as the days go by and um, children keep coming back home hopefully healthy and happy I think those anxieties will, will will relax.
3: Okay, Oni, for the moment, thanks for joining us uh, this morning and hopefully all the children returning today uh, in some areas in Cork are having a good school morning so far and thanks for joining us. That is Oni Lynch there from the National Parents Council Primary uh, on the children returning to school. Some this morning, I think the majority across the county seem to be going back this morning. I know some went back yesterday as well. Uh, let us know how your child got on though in their local primary school this morning and indeed secondary schools of course returning as well. Uh, I think it's today some are going back or if not tomorrow, uh, but. Your views are welcome. How were your family uh, handling the situation? And while some were anxious, again, from a different Anya that contacted us earlier in the week, she said, yeah, she was nervous. But when her child came back that evening, it relaxed her because uh, her child, he, eight years old, was in great form and didn't notice anything strange when he was going back to school by the measures put in for COVID. So your views are welcome. 1850 333 103, something though that has uh, been raised during uh, the discussion of schools going back is the concerns of SNAs who, despite uh, certain SNAs who have been in contact with us and uh, elsewhere, uh, despite them having underlying health conditions, they have been told that they must return to work. We'll discuss that next.
1: Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. Oh eight six
3: two one 103 SNAs have been contacting us in recent days, worried at going back into the classroom. Now, Liz Fay is an industrial relations officer with FOSA and joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Liz.
6: Good morning, John
3: Paul. And thanks for joining us. Now, according to paper reports, uh, I read that one SNA who is on dialysis was taken back that she will have to attend work after being told to do so by her occupational health service to return to work. Another person would normally go to work, but was worried uh, due to COVID. We've heard from others who maybe haven't gone that public, but have told us off air that they have underlying health conditions and they too must return. But they're absolutely petrified because they're afraid they'll pick up COVID or, or, or something worse could happen to them as the school year goes on.
6: That is all one hundred percent correct. We have many members who have contacted us, and we know that there will be many more who haven't contacted us because they will accept the verdict from OHS Medmark, um, who run the sorry Medmark run the OHS service on behalf of the Department of Education. And um, I suppose what we're looking at here is the fact that it's not so much that. These people would be any more susceptible to contracting COVID 19. The risk rating from the HSE relates to your possibility for detrimental consequences and side effects of contracting COVID 19. And for that reason, it was encapsulated within the Returning to Work Safety Protocol for all employees across the state that protection measures should be put in place for you, that if you are in one of the risk ratings according to the HSE guidance, then you should be facilitated with remote working where that's possible. Now, in the public services, we know that remote working has been made possible. Deeper are in charge of um, determining whether or not public service employees, which does encompass school secretaries, cleaners, caretakers and SNAs, as well as teachers and principals. And Deeper have made funding available. The Department of Education and Skills have made funding available. So there is no rationale behind anybody who has a medical assessment from their own GP that declares them to be considered very high risk would not have that that determination and consideration upheld by MedMark. If you are assessed as being in the very high risk category, what that means for the school is that the school will have a resource that is now available to work remotely, as well as being replaced by a substitute SMA secretary or caretaker in person in the classroom. There is no cost to the child. The child is not going to lose access to the resource that they desperately need. And in fact, like I said, the school will gain by having somebody who's there remotely who can engage with pupils who perhaps are not in a position to attend school that may be out pending COVID-19 diagnosis themselves, or perhaps they have serious underlying health conditions and it is very unsafe for them to attend the school, considering that class sizes are quite large and physical distancing is near on impossible to maintain at all
3: times so the school then would more in effect have one sna then working from home dealing with as you mentioned students who may not be able to return to school and then physically have someone in the classroom so it would benefit the school in some way but still the sna who feels that they cannot return due to health conditions are still working but working from home
6: correct yes they are available for work they will be working at home and in fact, the departmental, uh, the Department of Education's own guidelines outlines a number of tasks as an example that can be assigned to an SMA, such as engaging remotely with students over uh, a, a say a telecommunications platform that the school might have set up, and um, checking up with pupils to ensure that they understand what instruction has been given to them. Um, following up the pupils who have been given exercises by the special education teacher to ensure that there's continuous engagement and that the child is not put at too much of a disadvantage by having to remain out of the school
3: and the SNA then who cannot go into, into the school physically and will be working from home, would they then be working full-time? Would there be enough work there with the child who's at home or submitting information to the SNA in the classroom? Uh, would there be a, a full-time role there? The reason I ask that is you'll be aware there was a lot of uh, consternation during the summer when they were unsure if schools were going back and some people texting us felt well if they're not going to go back they need to look at the wages they're paying teachers. The same questions will be answered here for SNAs that if an SNA isn't going into the classroom because they have an underlying health condition then can the state afford to pay them at home if they're more or less working but not working at the full
6: capacity? The the debacle that occurred earlier on this year with regards to SNAs was not of an SNA's making. It was the Department of Education unilaterally transferred or attempted to transfer SNAs out of the remit of schools and into the HSE to be used in elder care services sorry, elder care services for positions to which the majority of SMAs would be wholly unsuitable and unqualified. This resulted in a vacuum of information from the department and direction from the department to schools to ensure that all SMAs were kept actively engaged with their pupils. The majority of schools, I am pleased to say, did engage with their SMAs and those SMAs did engage with their pupils via online platforms such as Zoom or Google Meet. The, um, the relevance of whether or not there is enough work, we, we are going to say, of course, 100%. There is enough work. The accommodation that is allowed for in the access to remote working would require a bit of flexibility from our members, and we are advising them, of course, to um, to agree to the flexibility measures. And that would be that. Not only would you be available to carry out your ordinary SME duties but that you may be required to undertake duties that you would not ordinarily be assigned. So there might be a bit of back office court work that could be done remotely.
3: Okay. And so there'd be other maybe tasks that they would be doing outside of SNA, but that would take up then if there was a spare moment in the day that they weren't dealing with a child. So I suppose it answered the question regarding to pay in that sector. So when it comes then to the health discussion we we had there regarding uh, the the lady who was going back and her occupational health service worker said that they have to, she has to go back regardless of her underlying health condition. do the public service overall? Do they need to look at how they deal with schools in this situation? Because you can't compare a school classroom to, let's say, a revenue office or, or, you know, another public office. Do they need to rethink?
6: There should be a little bit more of a common sense approach taken in this regard. You have a classroom that will be facilitating twenty-five pupils on average. You will also have a teacher in the classroom as well as an SNA. The teacher will have Their desk and their area, their two metre social distance, clearly delineated within the classroom. Each pupil then should be afforded a social and physical distancing of one metre. You have an SNA who, in the most cases of schools, do not have a desk or a separate area within the classroom as a teacher would have. The majority of SNAs work very, very closely with their pupils and would end up sitting at the same desk or same group of desks as their pupils during the working day. So the accommodation and the access to adequate physical distancing is completely negated for the majority of SNAs. So a little bit of thinking would have to go into the, the approach that a school would take, and the majority of principals we are pleased to see have made those accommodations for SNAs. Some schools are putting in an extra cable or clearing an extra area down the back of the room so that an SNA can take a break from having to interact in very close proximity with their child so that they can have adequate physical and social distancing and sit at the back of the class, take off their mask and leave on their visor because they have now got their two metres physical distancing like the teacher would have. However, when you've got a, an SNA with underlying health conditions, the guidance from the HSE is that you should maintain your physical and social distancing at all times, which we know for SNAs is nigh on impossible. And that's the crux of the matter that we have here, and that's why we have so many SNAs that are concerned, and indeed school secretaries that are concerned about the fact that they won't always have their two metres of physical and social distancing. And that was putting them at increased risk of detrimental effects of COVID-19 due to the underlying health conditions that they have.
3: Okay, well, we'll wait and see what happens uh, with this particular case uh, over the next few days. For the moment, Liz, thanks for joining us this morning on that particular issue. That is Liz Fay, who's an industrial relations officer with FORSA on the returning to schools. We are going to be hearing from uh, the school in Donnerill, the National School in Donnerill, shortly. Our reporter Katie O'Keefe was in Donnerill this morning. We're going to hear from the principal and indeed parents at that particular school also discussing how Neffet and indeed the HSC Chief Executive Paul Reid were in front of the Dahl Covid Commission yesterday and our Garda file and your calls and comments and much more. Good morning to you lines open 1850 333 103 or indeed text of WhatsApp 0862 103 103 shortly. We're going to hear from our reporter Casey O'Keefe who was in Donrail this morning. She spoke with a mother of a child who was attending that school going back to school this morning also. We'll hear from the school principal that's on the way. But uh, back to comments that have come in over the last hour while we were discussing earlier with the Irish Farmers Journal on on the decision last night of Phil Hogan to leave his position as commissioner, what does that mean now for Ireland? And as we heard yesterday from farming groups, they wished for him to stay because they said for him to go and not have an Irish voice at the negotiating table. When it comes to Brexit and trade, it uh, could have a negative effect for Ireland. Uh, Pat O'Toole there, who's the news correspondent with the Irish Farmers Journal, explains we could be going back to WTO which is the World Trade Organization's arrangements uh, for trade with the UK if the UK crash out as they're not engaging uh, with the EU is what he said earlier to us on the show. So that would mean even trading with Northern Ireland we would see high tariffs and that's the last thing that people said they want in this country and that's the last thing farming groups obviously want as well. But anyhow on that and on the whole debacle of Phil Hogan leaving that particular role people were also asking who now could take over and a number of names in the mix. Uh, Some of your comments, first of all, coming in on this. Meg says, now people have got their pound of flesh, yet misbehaviour and freedom countrywide went unsanctioned, as did vandalism, uh, says Meg. While a texter here is saying, great news, Big Phil is gone. I'm raging. Nobody checked him for saying he didn't break the law. He broke the law. At least he broke four laws that the government can take him to task for. But will they? That judge in should be gone too what's the delay they should be made stand down pending an outcome we surely have one law for the rich don't forget the guard also who gave Phil Hogan a caution that's not legal so he Uh, this texter is saying should be fired it's a two tier system again they say the guards have no power for this and that they are not using the ones they have when it's needed and this person says that Simon Coveney should get Hogan's job Rick saying regarding Phil Hogan and those who support him including farm organisations this is not all about farmers or Brexit this is about an individual who was arrogant and thought he was above the law and who insulted the people of Ireland with his actions I'm glad he's gone but not happy that he will walk away with a fat bank account and will walk into another job compared to most of us who don't and never will, says Rick on text to 86 While Morris is saying who would make a great commissioner is Danny Healy Ray or Mick Wallace, the people of Ireland will be sorry in a few short years for shafting Phil Hogan. I know he made a mistake but tell me one of us that haven't in one way or another, says Morris. On WhatsApp. Also, uh, WhatsApper here, no name on this, but says, What's all this nonsense regarding the fool Hogan? He didn't respect his job and there are no two ways about it. If I went to work and told people I had a big party with 81 people, I'd be in the height of trouble, especially if I worked with people who made up the rules for COVID regulations. I'd be out of a job. Why is he different? And now the big boohoo, he is working for Ireland and he's going to be a loss. We should keep. Keep him there politically, though. He's needed, seriously. He should have respected the laws here and behaved appropriately. Now, he's not above the law and neither is anyone else. Hogan and the other buffoons who decided it was okay to have that celebratory party for a nonsensical reason while the rest of the country were still stay near home and wear a mask and don't go visiting and do not have parties with more than 15 people. He decided to join in with the flouting of the law. But he's in trouble and rather than face the embarrassment of being fired, they gave him the chance to resign and his cronies feel sorry for him and say we can't manage without him brussels will destroy ireland says that particular person on whatsapp and another person here on text who says it's always the same old story isn't as do the harm but they then someone uh, jumps in and tries to make people feel sorry for i ah, leave the poor man alone he's helping the farmers scaremongering to keep a man in his job is not going to work ever again here Irish people will not tolerate idiots in government flouting the taxpayers' money and making rules as they go along because they believe they are irreplaceable. Put someone in there who has respect and wants the job, uh, says that person on text. And Michael in Castletown Bear on WhatsApp says the price Phil Hogan paid for resigning is minimal. To him, it's the price Ireland has paid that has not yet hit home to the people of Ireland and the book stops with the organisers of Golfgate, that particular shindig. It has set Ireland back decades, says Michael. As far as Phil Hogan's replacement is concerned and in order to avoid further upheaval, Mairead McGuinness or David O'Sullivan, preferably Mairead, as her substitute, would take over her seat. Mairead is well versed in the European Union and its workings. Michael Fields, Simon Coveney, that he should be left with Michael Barnier as they are working very well together and are a very good team, says Michael in Castletown Bear on text to 0862-103-103. Just some of your calls and of your texts there regarding uh, the situation in Europe and the resignation of Phil Hogan. Just some more calls coming in on that particular measure then says that he's sorry for Phil Hogan but like most people, they have lost their jobs. He won't end up homeless. And another Michael on phones to Bernie and Sadie in 1850 he says we're sick of hearing about Phil Hogan it's not all about farmers it's about the way that man treated the people of this country and how the people of this country can't get jobs and houses it's not going to affect him in any way he will walk away with a big package and a fat bank account other people don't have that luxury as of yet also Michael is asking why Dublin is not in lockdown with their high numbers of Covid well we'll discuss that shortly Uh, the Dull Covid Committee met yesterday we'll hear from them on the programme shortly and also on this particular situation in uh, Europe, uh, Helen says that on the replacement of Phil Hogan, she would like to see Sean Kelly, the MEP, appointed. He was great when dealing with the GAA in opening Crow Park. He would be a good negotiator. And uh, also on this text here, is saying the fine Gael party had to remove Big Phil previously and moved him into a fine, cushy, well-paid job. Don't tell us they are not going to do the same again. I'm noting, says this texter, Leah Vraker is very quiet, seeing as he's head. Of the Fine Gael party, he should have said something about Phil Hogan's diabolical behaviour, says that particular text there. and Bantry says, Why in the name of God uh, could the media stop going on about this overpaid ass and concentrate on the more important issues affecting people, uh, says Fembra and Bantry. And finally, on this, a person says, Should the famous golf dinner be renamed the Last Supper? For many, it will be. Your views are welcome. Text or WhatsApp 086 2103103. 103. Call Bernie or Sadie 1850 103. on the issue of schools. A number of calls and texts in from people on that particular issue. First of all, Mary is in Mallow uh, Mary was this morning saying she was going into a shop uh, that's near a school this morning and she noticed a group of parents with children all huddled together I'm not too sure were they in the shop or just outside the shop but she goes none of them anyhow were wearing masks she says parents are not meant to are they not meant to be setting an example for their children what exactly is going on uh, when you don't have parents wearing a mask while entering a shop uh, while they are bringing their children? in it's not setting everything very good example. Uh, while staying with schools, uh, we mentioned earlier when speaking uh, to the trade union force uh, and I was speaking there to Liz Fay uh, on the issue of SNAs and how one SNA and we've heard from others as well who have underlying health conditions, uh, one seriously ill and has been told that that person has to go back to work regardless of her health situation and there is a worry from some in, to returning into the particular classroom due to COVID. Well, on that, a Texas saying, is there still a shortage of SNAs in Ireland? If so, will there be enough to go around for subs in schools for those who cannot get into or go into schools. Well, the various uh, education departments over the last while, uh, over the last few months, the education department have said that there is, they feel anyhow, there is enough subs with regards to teachers and SNAs. Some schools feel that they have sourced enough teachers anyhow for subs, but SNAs, were told there is, whether that's the reality or not, uh, I'm not too sure, but we're told anyhow that there should be ...enough SNAs to go around... If there is a need to replace SNAs who cannot uh, go to school for one reason or another. And uh, an SNA has texted a programme who says, I am an SNA and I've been asked to do the school account as well as being the COVID officer. Also, I'm a full time SNA to a wheelchair bound child who throughout parts of the day needs to be put standing in a standing frame. I don't know how I'm going to do all of this unless I split myself in two. I was told by the principal he had to put me forward as as COVID officer when it's a post you're meant to send your application of interest to be told you were to do it it's another thing uh, says so that particular person who's uh, picking up extra work uh, she's an SNA and feels uh, how will she be able to cope doing everything dealing with the the child she's an SNA for but also the extra roles that she's been given and told she must do uh, in that particular school Marie is a teacher uh, and she's saying we now have to go to the school about a half an hour or more before we actually start our day and then stay back about another half an hour or hour just to deal with cleaning, sanitising and more so all of us in schools are putting in the work and this is the way it's going to be for another while it's just part of the new normal going back and returning to schools says Marie who was a teacher just some of your views on schools and the returning of schools And the issue of SNAs in schools and and staying on that particular topic of schools this morning our reporter Katie O'Keefe was outside the National School in Donnerill and she firstly spoke uh, to the Principal Dennis Murphy she got a quick chat with Dennis uh, on the school reopening after nearly being closed for six months We're delighted to be welcoming our children back to school this morning after five and a half months out of course it will take everyone a bit of time to settle into the new normal but it's fantastic to be back and from the parents' point of view, she spoke to a mother who has a child attending that particular school in Donnerill.
1: We're all very happy that she's going back to school.
6: Um, now, as I said, that the, the schools have the measures in place. They're obviously all going to do their best. And with, as with regards other businesses and establishments like this, they have their rules. Um, things are changing all the time, and hopefully, all we all, all we all want is to keep it out of the school. And if everyone does their bit, that's all we can do. And like she's in a junior class, she couldn't meet her friends since last March because you'd have some children where their grandparents are looking after them, and the grandparents are worried for fear it'll be brought back to them. So, I'm very happy that she's back, and I hope that we can keep it out of school. And that's all we can hope for. I'm going to take you day by day.
3: And that's the parents uh, outside Donrell National School this morning. A mother there of a child who attends that school and overall I think parents are uh, happy that uh, schools are back and as our children as we're hearing obviously there's the usual outside of anything COVID anxieties about returning to school uh, but overall uh, with the fact that they're now living uh, with COVID and all the changes uh, people seem to be happy with the return to schools overall That's what we're hearing anyhow this morning and your views are welcome uh, from teachers and SNAs of course who now are back in the classroom uh, uh, there's a mixed response there, especially from S&As. Some feel they've been given too much work uh, when they have returned to school from the particular school principal, and others with underlying conditions who feel it's unsafe for them to return are being forced to return to the classroom. Reviews are welcome on that. Text or WhatsApp 086 2103 103 or call Bernie and Sadie 1850 333 103. I have a lot of texts in regarding are pubs going to open? Also, people asking uh, what's going to happen in relation to rising figures of COVID in Cork. Well, yesterday the Doll COVID committee did meet and will discuss what they said and what was said with Neffish and indeed uh, with the HHC chief executive Paul Reid. Uh, what came out of that? Discussing that next.
1: C103 Jobs.
3: On today's job spot We have opportunities Which include Carebright They require carers In Newcastle West Also in Limerick City East Limerick And in North Cork In the Mallow and Fermoy areas You can send your CV To recruitment At carebright.ie HGV driver is required In the Newmarket area Must have a full Clean HGV licence And an up-to-date CPC Contact 087-623-4547 And Supervalue in Mallow Are recruiting a permanent full-time baker must have previous experience in this rule. You can apply online to 344-Mallow-HR at supervalue.ie or you can call them on 022-21662. And there's just some of the jobs today on C103 Jobs. You can find out more if you go along to c103.ie forward slash jobs. And next, discussing what will happen over the next number of months. After Neffit meeting yesterday, there's fears of more local lockdowns and indeed a national lockdown. But the big question we're getting from John and Clannacilty and others this morning is are the pubs going to reopen next week? We'll
2: find out that next. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
1: Cork Today on Scene 103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103.
3: And before we discuss what was said yesterday at that particular Dáil committee meeting, a lot of text in on who should be taken over from Phil Hogan. Uh, this person saying on text, I'm glad he's gone. I never heard of anyone so arrogant. But I do think Maureen McGuinness would be a great replacement from a regular listener. And also on text, Sean Kelly, uh, this person says, who was mentioned by, I think it was Mary earlier who said Sean Kelly would be a good replacement. He's the last person to get the job as he saw nothing wrong with Big Phil uh, said uh, that, well, this person is saying no, Smallville, we'll have to wait and see what happens. Uh, but no, it's people against Strong Kelly getting the job. We'll uh, find out, I'm sure, over the next few days who will get that job. But first of all, let's go back to what was mentioned yesterday and spoken about in the Dáil Committee, uh, the dealing with COVID-19 and the various restrictions that are in place in this particular country. Uh, Deputy McBarry was attending that meeting yesterday. He joins me. Good morning to you, Mick. Hello, JP. How are you doing? And thanks for joining us. Just very briefly, because I know people are probably sick of us talking about Phil Hogan, Bush on that, now the move is to replace him. And do Ireland need to act fast considering what is happening with regards to Brexit and those negotiations? What's your view on that?
4: Well, uh, I welcome the fact that uh, Phil Hogan was forced to resign. Uh, I think that um, it was the anger of the people that forced this resignation. It is true uh, that the statement yesterday from Michal Martin, of Varadkar, and Eamon Ryan um, really increased the pressure on the European Commission president uh, for a parting of the ways. But I think it's pretty clear that uh, those politicians would not have exerted nearly as much pressure uh, if it wasn't for the fact that they felt um, uh, a powerful uh, fire of... Uh, um, uh, indignation and anger from ordinary people uh, uh, putting them in turn uh, under pressure Um, so I think it's important that that um, people power pressure uh, continues to be exerted on a number of fronts of course there's still a number of uh, prominent individuals who are at the uh, golf gate um, uh, do uh, including um the supreme court judge and including senior people in the the uh, uh banking structures in this country but also in a broader sense there are very very important issues coming up uh with the reopening of the doll next week not least the question of justice and fair play for the leaving cert students we can't have what happened to the the young people uh, across the water and in Scotland um their, their, their grades being marked down, particularly uh, students from schools in lower-income and working-class areas. That cannot be allowed to happen here, so we need to keep that pressure up. And also, the precarious situation facing hundreds of thousands of workers, the threat of people losing their jobs and redundancies, and the campaign for justice on the part of the Debenhams workers, who are fighting uh, for themselves and their own families, obviously, but in, in another respect are fighting for all of us, Because if they can achieve a just redundancy package, um, a decent package, uh, that's an important victory for all the people who may well come after them uh, in the course of this uh, uh, COVID situation. So these are the issues that we'll be trying to put on the agenda with the recall of the doll next week. And the resignation of Phil Hogan uh, feeds into that uh, very much.
3: And while he, I'm sure, was spoken about yesterday at the particular COVID-19 Adult Committee meeting, uh, while things have moved on now with regards to that, a lot of people asking what has come out of that meeting yesterday with regards to Neffet and the HSE, because we did hear from the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly. He has warned the state is at tipping point uh, regarding the coronavirus pandemic. He said we could be going back to a a lockdown overall or local lockdowns. And that has worried people this morning, Mick, hearing that. On, on news last night. Why was that said and what is the outcome of that? Because I know there is concern on the rising numbers in Cork over the last number of weeks.
4: Yeah, well, obviously there's rising numbers in Cork uh, and there's rising numbers um, for the country as a whole. Uh, there are particular hotspots as we've seen, uh, like the situation in uh, Kildare. Um, I think that, um, you know, something that's needs to be focused on more in terms of why that situation has been allowed to arise. Um, We had um, a a significant increase uh, in the number of cases and clusters in direct provision centres in the Midlands. And we also had very significant clusters in uh, meat plants uh, in the Midlands and um, in recent days in Tipperary as well. Uh, And I think that there has been... um, Uh, a light-touch regulation approach uh, in terms of um, the state to the meat industry for fear of stepping on the toes of the beef barons, the Larry Goodmans of this world, and so on. And that is not acceptable. And I think the state then has a direct responsibility for the situation that has been uh, allowed to develop within a direct provision, which is a very unjust system, uh, which almost by its nature uh, crowds, Uh, big numbers of people in together that's a situation uh, that should be uh, uh, dismantled
3: Was that addressed Um, yesterday because I know from speaking from people in the Midlands who live there they're very angry Mick and I'm sure you've heard as well that because the meat factories and direct provision wasn't dealt with sooner they then were put in lockdown and obviously they know the reason why people in those positions were going to be mingling in the community but they felt that they were punished because of the lack of judgement with regards to meat factories and direct provision
4: yeah, I think the question of the meat factories um, tended to get uh, more attention at the COVID committee yesterday. I was at the COVID committee in the morning. Uh, I was um, uh, questioning HSE officials, including uh, Paul Reid and Colin Henry. Uh, and in my um, contribution and my questioning, I focused on the issue of quarantine in order to increase the pressure for the resignation of Phil Hogan. And I asked questions about the school's But later in the day, the issues of uh, meat factories uh, did tend to feature uh, uh, more, uh, and I would have read that in the media the same way as you've done. Uh, I didn't participate in that debate so much. I was more focused on the question of the Hogan situation, but also the situation in the schools now, with uh, a million uh, young people going back to school.
3: And on that with the schools, it has come out and there is worries over that. I know they have information online and parents can read that. But one of the things is that children who display low-grade symptoms in school will not be tested for COVID-19. Why is that?
4: Um, There should be more testing uh, uh, in the schools and in society in general. Uh, And I think, you know, um, the majority of students and the majority of parents uh, will welcome the idea of going back to school after the six months, uh, but we will want to make sure that the very best arrangements are put in, in place to protect in terms of health and safety, and that's one example of that. Another example is what we saw on the TV news the other night. You would have seen the school in County Carlow, uh, where they brought more than 150 uh, students uh, into an assembly uh, for uh, some prayers to start uh, the school year. I think it's important that pressure was exerted in the last couple of days to say that big gatherings uh, of young people in the schools, even if it's primary students who are maybe less susceptible uh, to the infection than, than older students, uh, that that should, just should not be happening. We need to have uh, uh, smaller gatherings of the young people in the schools. Of course, that is not helped by the fact that successive governments down through the years, led by both Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, have brought us to a point where we have the highest pupil-teacher ratio in all of Europe. In primary schools, it's 25 to 1, which means that there are schools, and we know them even in, in, in areas of the county, where it would be more than 30 to 1. That is that is not uh, uh, what is needed. And it would be best uh, if we had the hiring of more teachers to take place to try and cut the pupil-teacher ratio uh, in the uh, in the uh, uh, schools. Um So these were some of the points that I was attempting to raise uh, uh, yesterday, as well as concerns that teachers would have. uh, They've categorised teachers on the basis of, uh, are you uh, very high risk or uh, have you a a higher risk? The very high risk teachers have been allowed to uh, work from home. Um, But other teachers who are categorised as high risk, who would have issues around um, heart disease in the past, um, um, uh, diabetes and so on um, uh, Are being asked to go into school And I know that the teachers and their unions Have uh, uh, concerns uh, about that Which I think are justified
3: And that will continue the, the For the decision that is made And spoken about yesterday They will still force those teachers To return to school Who have the underlying health conditions no, Nothing changed from that meeting yesterday
4: Nothing changed from that uh, meeting yesterday, but I, I think that there is a degree of uh, pressure being exerted uh, on that issue uh, uh, now. And the other issue that comes up in relation to education, I know it's not immediately uh, related to the question of uh, the virus, although these are students who who had their education disrupted seriously by the virus, are the Leaving Cert students who will have their uh, results on Monday week? Um, and we'll be watching this very carefully and exerting pressure on the Minister and the Department of Education in relation to this because you did see the controversy over the summer where the um, algorithm that was used in the predictive grades um, actually meant that students in general, but in particular students um, in working-class areas, uh, had their grades marked down to a very significant extent, first of all in Scotland and then throughout other parts of the UK. And it was only under pressure with protests developing, that the uh, Johnson government back down from that position, we 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 shouldn't have to put a government under that pressure here. Uh, they need to look at what happened over there, and pressure needs to be exerted to make sure that that situation is not allowed to happen here.
3: You're afraid that it could come out here in the next few weeks and that's what you don't want. Very finally, Mick, regarding a lot of texts coming in regarding the pubs, and I know there's an announcement officially due to be made, I think, later on today, uh, because pubs were due to open at the end of this month. What was said yesterday from the meeting, I I gather uh, that the priority of getting schools open and leaving schools open for the next number of weeks is in place. So does that show us that pubs won't reopen?
4: I'm not in a position to uh, to say. I'm not um, uh, making the call in relation uh, uh, to that. Um, I think it is obviously a very uh, difficult situation for the publicans. Um, but I do think it's right and proper that the question of the schools is prioritised over the pubs. Um, and I think that there needs to be uh, a tougher approach taken In relation to um, some industries, the meat industry is is certainly a case in point.
3: And yesterday Neffet said that they never advised the government about the nine euro meals, that this was something that obviously was uh, decided within the the government themselves, that they were speaking about restaurants opening and this nine euro meals wasn't something that they came up with. So uh, does that suggest maybe that Neffet and those who were at that meeting yesterday were uh, not happy that the pubs that we see open serving food, that they should be open?
4: Um, I'm not sure. Um, I, I didn't participate in the the direct back and forth uh, with Neffet. I know that there is a degree of dissatisfaction about the uh, the nine euro, but I have to say I can't see the logic in it. Um, I, I, I do think that if you have uh, people going in for alcohol only, you're likely to have uh, significantly more people in the pubs, and I think you're also uh, likely to have... Um, significantly less social distancing uh, in the pub so it, 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 it's not something that I would be uh, railing or campaigning against um, irrespective of what the view of Neffet uh, on it would be at the moment. I think there is a certain logic to that. I know that that mightn't be the most popular position and there'd be, some people will disagree with me on that one um, but that would be my view for what it's worth.
3: So would you rather see a situation whereby some pubs who don't serve food are remaining closed at the moment and these bars, especially in rural areas, say they can only have three or four or five, that's all they'd get in on a, on a nighttime, let's say, in a rural area, that there would be plenty of social distancing, that those pubs remain closed, yes, you have other bars open serving food. Would you more or less say so, keep them all closed and then reopen everything together rather than having a pub starting to serve a few pizzas and charging nine euros so they can open?
4: No, I think the idea of pubs being open and, and serving the food and having, um, you know, not alcohol only uh, with the social distancing, if if Neffert are OK with that, that's OK with me. Uh, if Neffert have serious concerns about uh, bars opening willy-nilly, uh, then I think that we have to pay attention to that, particularly in a situation where Uh, The infection rates are are rising, as you say, not just in Cork, but uh, 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 throughout most areas of the country.
3: Okay, for the moment, Mick, uh, we'll leave it there. Thanks for joining us. Uh, That is Deputy Mick Barry of Solidarity on that particular issue and what was raised yesterday at that meeting with the HSC and Neffish at the Dull Aroctus Committee. And the question on bars, well, that will remain and we should hear over the next few hours what the official line is on if bars are allowed to open or not. But from that yesterday, it seems that they will be getting their priorities of the schools and for the schools that are open to remain open for a number of weeks before they even look at opening uh, the particular wet bars as they're called, those bars that don't serve food. Anyhow, your views are welcome. 1850 333 103 Bernie and Sadie taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 086-2103-103. Uh, time for our Gardafile. That's next.
1: Court today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 86 Time for this
3: week's Garda File, and I'm joined by the crime prevention officer, Sergeant James O'Donovan in Bandon Garda Station. Good morning to you James Good
7: morning John Paul How are you?
3: I'm fine thanks And first of all We'll start with uh, witness appeals And this is to do with thefts, And this is an attempt At taking fuel from a truck In the Goggins Hill area Of Bananhasig
7: Yes John Paul This happened last Tuesday The 18th of August At about 1.30am There was an attempt To take fuel from a truck That was parked In the Goggins Hill area Of Bananhasig Now the, I suppose the, the action was disturbed by the, by the owner of the truck And the person involved in it ran off from the scene, got into a, a dark-coloured Toyota and was leave, seen, leave, seen leaving the area at the time. I suppose we're appealing to witnesses that if they had seen anyone acting suspicious around the Goggins Hill area on Tuesday the 18th at about 1.30am to contact the Gardaí in Bandon Gardaí Station with any information, it, could, it would be very helpful, hopefully.
3: OK, we have another situation then, and this is in the Castellac area near Bandon.
7: Yes, and we've had a lot of these uh, reported to us over the last number of weeks and nationwide as well in relation to the theft or the attempted theft of dogs. This happened on the 13th, the Thursday, the 13th of August, last um, two weeks ago at 4pm in the Castellac area. A Ford Transit type van, we have no better description, got pulled into a driveway and actually lifted the dog. But again, I suppose they were disturbed. The owners were in the house. When they came out, they saw that the owners were there. They dropped the dog immediately on the ground and took off without the dog. Again, very traumatic for the family that were there to see it actually happening and I suppose whereas we did get a, a make of or a type of van we didn 't get the make or the, the registration number because it can be very traumatic, but we 're appealing to anyone that may have seen someone acting suspicious in a in a large type van, possibly Ford on the thirteenth of August around the Catholicillac area, our abandoned area to contact the Gardie maybe they might have some footage on their dash cam maybe if they were in the area at the time
3: Yeah I know I got calls yesterday morning from the McCroom area but thankfully the people there in a similar situation they got the reg and the make and, and colour and everything of the car and they reported that to the guys in McCroom Garda station because that would make a difference then when you go investigating I'm sure when you have more information you have a reg number you, you have the exact make of the car it makes it easier maybe to track them down if you have to do that, that
7: and that goes without saying, John Paul, the more information that we can get from people and the more evidence that we can put together, it, we can put a, an investigation in train, so to speak. I suppose I also want to just to let your listeners know that there was arrest made there in Limerick during the week where a person was arrested and there was up to 10 or 11 dogs found on site. And those dogs are on our website or on our Facebook page as well. So maybe people out there that may have had dogs stolen should check our social media pages just to see pictures of the dog and they can contact the Gardaí Inf- all information there is on the social media pages as well
3: Okay and moving on to criminal damage and uh, this uh, this is a strange one this is bales of hay uh, that were set on fire
7: Yes this happened last Saturday night there at approximately corpus 10 down in the old Devkinsale H- H- area um, 15 bales of hay were set on fire I know there was a a group of youth seen in the area, and we're asking for people that might have information or um, might be aware of those people who were around the the old head of Kinsale area to contact the Gardaí because this could have been very dangerous. It could, I suppose it was particularly dry at the time, maybe, and you know, but I know there was a, a, a lot of rain beforehand, but these hay bales are wrapped in plastic and they can take off. Um, and it, it could have led to uh, further damage, maybe with buildings in nearby and stuff. So, look, any information would be greatly received in relation to that incident down around the old Hedekin sale.
3: Okay, but, let's move to break ins. And first of all, starting with one, and this is in the Mallow area.
7: Yeah, this is in the Clunbanin area of Mallow there. Happened on the 13th and 14th of August last, John Paul. Unfortunately, this is a new build. Um, there was a theft of flooring, and a large marble fireplace was taken from it. This would have been fairly expensive. A large van would have been required maybe to to move that, and a number of people would have been required to move that fireplace as well because that would have been particularly heavy. So again, we're appealing to people that would have been around around the, the Clunbanin area of Mallow to contact the Guardian Mill Street if they saw anyone acting suspicious in a large van or trailer, or maybe around the 13th to 14th of August last to contact the Guardian Mill Street, as I said. And then on the 16th of August, in the Golan's area of Conakilty, there was another attempt at burglary before they were disturbed. Um, I suppose what happened here was that might tweak uh, a memory with someone in the Golan area, is that they drove off the car. Make a model is unknown, but there was a lot of tyre screeching and spinning of wheels and car revving done when they were driving off. And someone might have recognised or or heard or seen a car doing that on Sunday the 16th of August at about 4.30pm to contact the Gardaí in Conakilty.
3: Now something you want to raise and we've got a lot of texts and calls about this during the week is the issue of fraud that people unfortunately still are getting caught with. We had texts from people who claimed that they were getting calls and texts. Texts more so from Permanent TSB. We checked into that and we knew from the texts we were getting they were fraud because the website for Permanent TSB is open24.ie. The link to click on on the text people were getting was open24-bank.com. So instantly we told people it's a fraud, don't click in the link. And uh, permanent TSB have come out and issued statements on that. Uh, there's also, though, people receiving emails from various financial banks and institutions asking them to take out a loan, or indeed, on social media, people are getting caught as well by this.
7: Yes, John Paul, as we seem to be talking about online fraud and tech scams constantly, now every week we're on the show. Um, These people that are doing these uh, attempted frauds are very, very smart when it comes to technology, and they're sending out all these text alerts and emails that pertain to be from legitimate businesses, and they're not. The online loan applications is another one as well that we need to touch on. I suppose, look, people should only apply for financial assistance from reputable financial institutions by going into the banks themselves uh, and by dealing with their official website. Unfortunately, a lot of social media links now that are coming up on your newsfeed. When, when, even when you go looking for a loan on Google, every social media or, or or your social media can be linked to your Google, and all of a sudden, up on your social media feed will come links to these loans that might not be from reputable financial institutions. And there's links on them, then, and you have to forward, you have to forward cash in advance of payment of getting the loan. Now, the one that we want to discuss is about where they look for a payment of maybe five or six hundred euro as a as a deposit before you can get a loan. There is no financial institution that looks for that from the point of view of unless you have to have credit inside in your account. but what we want to stress is that people shouldn't go on to uh, loan applications on social media when they're not reputable financial institutions and of by all means, certainly don't click on any links that come up on your social media loans offering you cheap loans because, unfortunately, they can be fraud. And if, unless you're astutely aware of what you're doing online, some people are, and a lot of people are getting caught across the country, but some people aren't even reporting it to us then as well.
3: Yeah, and get, be careful also. I mean, if, someone is, if you're getting a loan from someone and they're asking you to pay to receive a loan, common sense would tell you that's not going sense to work.
7: prevail here. Yeah. And unfortunately, look, I know... Uh, under current circumstances with COVID-19 maybe people are are stressing financially and they just need to look for a, a cheap way out but look I know that financial institutions are out there to help people but I suppose my main thing here is to alert people to these uh, loan scams that are out there. There was another one this morning and I want to thank the people at Kinsale for contacting they even contacted our chief here in Bandon this morning in relation to um, a delivery tech scam it's going around fresh this morning We've already sent out a text alert across the division alerting people to this delivery text scam. There was one a couple of weeks ago with on post where they were saying that there was no postal delivery paid and a fee had to be paid again. And again, another link was attached to the text. These links cannot be pressed because once you go into that link, it gives them access possibly to your phone. Spamware is into your, into your, your I suppose, your your smartphone or into your laptop and they can have control over your phone and then they look for credit card details or bank details and we've always said it John Paul do not give out any bank details or credit card details over a, t- a text
3: and these scam this morning who were they claiming to be from did they claim they were they from a they were just a, a delivery
7: company, company uh, unfortunately DHL um, um, and other uh, DBH Delivery companies have been caught with these scams as well, and on post as well. These aren't coming from, reputable, from the actual companies themselves. These are coming from, I suppose, text numbers pertaining to be from these um, delivery companies. So for some strange reason, they seem to target people that have a delivery or are expecting a delivery. But I think under the current um, circumstances that people are finding, a lot of households are um, delivering or getting stuff online now. I'd say you'd find it very hard to find a house that wouldn't have maybe an online delivery due to their house over the next couple of weeks. So they're just taking a chance and unfortunately people are being caught when they hit these links. So we're appealing to people just to be smart when they're opening their phones and opening all text, um, text messages in relation to deliveries and links. Just take a minute, have a look at it and if you're not unsure about it or if you're not sure about it, don't open any links.
3: Okay. and very finally, you want to touch on the issue of back to school from a road safety point of view. Schools have been out for nearly six months and while they are returning over, well, today, the majority of them over the next week, uh, just for road users to be careful and mindful again that schools are open.
7: Yes, John Paul. Look, I suppose uh, ourselves here... In Ngarashikana and many of the emergency services and the frontline workers have been, and yourselves have been, and shops have been working all throughout the COVID-19, but students haven't been back at school in six months and parents haven't been used to driving them back to school. We covered it a number of weeks ago when I suppose the restrictions were being lifted that people had to get, nearly get used to driving again and put themselves in that, um surroundings. It's a new environment for everyone. Um, parents are going back to school with their kids, they're anxious with the COVID-19 and look we're just wanting people to be mindful of road safety to don't be rushing out of a car getting into the school or leaving the school rushing into the car in the evenings be mindful of the road, be mindful of the security at home, don't forget to lock the car as well when you're leaving and stuff like that, because I know parents, and they've, they've rang me and said that they're, they are anxious about dropping their kids back to school in, in relation to the new current regime that we have with COVID-19, but look, we're just asking people to be patient, be careful on the road, be mindful that there could be something around the corner, there could be kids on bike cycling again, back to school and we just want everyone to get back to school safely and um, And hopefully we'll all get through this together from the point of view that there'll be no accidents on the road and that people will remain safe at all times.
3: And from school to colleges, just a reminder for those, especially maybe first years who are looking forward to going back to college, I know there's some will be online, some will be in the lecture halls, but if you are starting to go back and renting a house with a number of people, there is warnings going out regarding parties and college parties.
7: Yes, and we've heard it all summer, John Paul, with the the number of parties that have been going on around the, the country, the county and West Cork. We're look. It's great that students hopefully will get back to college and have some sense of normality in relation to college. But we just want parents and and students to have a conversation with regards to going back to school or back to college. Look, it's not the same this year in 2020 in relation to the first year and uh, I suppose Freshers Week and all that is going to be. It's not even going to be looked at from that point of view. But at the same time, it's still a big step for these young people going back to college. We just want people to have a conversation about parties and be responsible in the area of COVID-19 and keeping the numbers down.
3: Okay, well, for the moment, uh, James, thank you for joining us this morning. That is Sergeant James O'Donovan there joining us from Bandon Garda Station. Good afternoon to you. Lines open 1850-333-103. Bernie and Sadie taking your calls this afternoon. You can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. And I've got a lot of calls in. First of all, we heard Barry there regarding the water in Malodazov due to an electricity outage. Also getting calls from the Ballyclough area. And I can tell you Irish Water are currently investigating reports of... uh, a supply disruption to water in the Derry, Organ and Ballyclough and surrounding areas. They are looking into that at the moment. So that's why uh, there's no water there. There is a problem and they're trying to find out what exactly that problem is. I will get back to those comments coming in to us on uh, Phil Hogan leaving and resigning as uh, Commissioner in the EU. Also regarding schools and SNAs and schools reopening and a lot of calls in as well on various issues. The pubs, people feel at this stage some decision needs to be made about the pubs when they will reopen because they feel uh, as it goes on many pubs especially the smaller pubs can never reopen they've been closed for five months some are saying on text and how can they expect it to be uh, just reopening as things were when they've had no income coming in for the last five to six months so uh, your call is coming on those issues uh, shortly but this is just an email we got in yesterday and uh, I'm sure a lot of people over the years have got caught with parking in various towns and uh, various parts of the city. Uh, this is from Tina, who says, I'm just hoping to highlight something that happened last night at the Mill Car Park in Douglas. My sister was clamped at 20.47, so just around quarter to nine, and her ticket ran out at 8.30. She was running late, and yes, she was late and was in the wrong. I just feel, given that the economy and therefore local businesses have suffered so much with some unable to reopen ever again that in things like parking issues town councils and city councils need to show leniency and encourage people and and also to encourage people who are compliant with the public health requirements to spend and keep local businesses going To name but one, Paul Street Car Park has waived fees for parking in the short term. I 100% applaud them for this and I will keep my business in the city The country is suffering enough with COVID-19. We need to help one another through this uh, says Tina on email to jp at c103.ie Another that car park you mentioned Tina I know the one and it has been known and is known for, for that to happen that once you go over your time frame you are likely to be clamped and they're very strict in that particular car park on clamping issues and you will know that if you ever are in that particular area of Douglas uh, I suppose when it comes to local towns, town council's now gone, so it is Cork County Council who are enforcing pay parking or who are looking after pay parking anyhow in the towns across Cork who have this. But do you agree with Tina in her email that given uh, her sister, yes, and she admits she was in the wrong, she was 15 minutes late, but considering everything that is going on and her sister and others went out of their way to shop local and then this happens to them, do you feel that like what's happening in Paul Street Park and others in the city centre that they uh, should be more lenient and encourage people to support local business rather than discouraging them, which I presume, Tina, your sister now will be slow enough again to go. Uh, Obviously, won't be parking there uh, because usually if you have a bad experience in a car park, you'll be slow enough to go back there again. So I presume your sister is in that mind frame and also uh, that will then hamper her uh, doing her business in Douglas uh, if she can't get parking elsewhere in the town, of course, nearby, Uh, the shopping centre there that uh, went on fire last year that is still closed it remains closed so parking is gone from that particular centre Uh, so you've a a chunk of car space has gone there in Douglas due to that that particular car park that Tina mentions is more or less located across the road from that centre so would be used probably more so now by people who want to shop or do business in that area of Douglas so your views welcome and it applies to every town and every part of the city Uh, does it annoy you that if you are only 10-15 minutes uh, after your ticket has run out that you do get a, a parking fine and especially in this current climate if you have gone out of your way to support local business and then this happens to you is Tina right should they have some a uh, thing in place and some leniency when it comes to people who are just uh, 10 or 15 minutes over their time or then from the parking attendants and the, the people that look after the parking from their point of view uh, they could say it they do that then everybody will be floating the laws, and you could have cars there way over their time. Anyhow, uh, your views are welcome. 1850 333 103, Texas WhatsApp 086 on SNAs. And we mentioned earlier how some SNAs will be. Uh, and some will have to work from home because of underlying health conditions. And when we were speaking to the trade union force who represents some of the SNAs, they were saying that uh, they will be allowed to work from home. And also, you could have students who are working or, or studying from home because they also have health conditions and cannot return to the classroom. So they will be online learning, and the SNA can be online helping them uh, from their home while helping a, a child in, in obviously another home online. But one question that has come up here is can SNAs who might have to work from home be allowed to work online with pupils from different schools or a combination of schools who would allow the SNA full time hours. It's a good point. I mean, from the school's point of view, they will be looking for all the help they can get. I mean, I think every school has been looking out for substitute teachers in the event that a teacher becomes ill. Uh, like does it every uh, winter and, and all throughout the school year but this would be uh, because of the situation in relation to COVID uh, things are taken more seriously so they are looking for all the help they could but again it will be up to the Department of Education to overall allow that but I would see I couldn't see a problem of why that could not happen if it wasn't going to interfere with any of the pupils or any of the schools but if you're in the know on that uh, something we can put to the uh, Department of Education as well let us know text or WhatsApp oh eight six two 21- one while Pat says uh, there's an Irish joke here someplace I hear people saying we must keep the virus out of the schools how do we do that we open the schools of course and bring out all the children and expose them to the virus only happens in Ireland says Pat while Jason says I agree with the reopening of the schools I think for children they need to go back Uh, they have been hampered enough on their development with the schools closed we can't have them closed forever we don't know how long we're going to be living with this particular virus Uh, so we cannot just stop everything until we get a vaccine I disagree with those who feel schools should not go back they need to go back and also we need to have those working in the education sector back as well as how long more can a government keep paying people uh, that are working from home home. Uh, the job for teachers and others in education is in the school and for children their place is in a school classroom not at home says Jason on text to 0862 103, 103. Back to the issue of Phil Hogan who's now gone uh, Tim and Yol says he deserves to be gone full stop however would like to know what he's gone with and how much and by the way he didn't give a full apology without persisting his innocence regarding the law these sympathisers would want to wake up this man will not want for a dinner or a roof over his head and I can understand very well his disappointment regarding the loss of his big amount of wages which Tim is saying is over 300 euros uh, 300,000 euros plus a year good riddance to him and I conclude Tim says that Leo Varadkar would be nominated for Europe says Tim in Yeo while Avril in Banning colleague, is making the point that Billy Kelleher came home from Brussels he did not self-isolate he came to Cork and one of the Sinn Féin councillors up the country went on holidays to Lanzarote but nothing has been said about them we are all trying to do our best with ourselves in this current situation while dear Kelleher uh, who is is involved in the farming industry. He is saying getting rid of Phil Hogan is like cutting off your nose to spite your face. There were 81 people at the dinner. If Hogan had to go, they should all go says Dermot while James says I think it was coming to Phil for a long long time he has an attitude problem this is his second time resigning if he was in Germany in 1945 he would have been Hitler's right hand man says James on phone to 1850 Frank says Phil Hogan had to go he flouted the law he came here whining and dining insulting the people who died from Covid Frank would recommend Simon Coveney to go and be running for that particular role. Uh, Some of your views there regarding Phil Hogan and what has come out there, of course, and we've discussed earlier on in the show. On the issue of young people uh, not wearing masks in stores and shops this morning, this was called earlier uh, from people who were in local shops this morning near schools, and they felt that the students in there were not wearing masks while buying whatever they were buying ahead of school. And on that, Catherine says young people are always classed as careless, but I have to think and uh, about this. Obviously, we're on about the masks here; they've been blamed for that this morning. But uh, that was in a, a number of shops that we heard from people. But Catherine making the point that she just heard, and we mentioned this on Monday's show about a number of teens rescuing a man from the sea. She says congrats to these young people and they deserve a round of applause. Not all this knocking. We have some fantastic young people in this country and we need to hear more about them. Indeed Catherine and we're always seeing that here on the show. We have fantastic young people. We've spoken to so many of them uh, over the years and will do into the future on this particular programme. Uh, but there was calls this morning uh, just querying why some were not wearing masks in stores and in shops this morning before they went to school but Catherine valid uh, and good uh, and and indeed you're making it well when you look at the stories over this week on teens Uh, and there was more across the summer uh, and not only here in Cork but elsewhere in the country where young people did rescue those who got caught while swimming or whatever they were doing in lakes or in rivers or in the seas so we have fantastic young people in this country Catherine thank you for your call on that Uh, Liam when we were discussing the COVID numbers with Deputy McBarry and how the Health Minister Stephen Donnelly has suggested that we could go back to a national lockdown or more local lockdowns if the numbers continue to rise. They did point out Cork yesterday there was nine cases in the figures released yesterday evening, nine cases in Cork uh, and there was then a worry out of that, that were they hinting we need to uh, cop on more in Cork when it comes to the situation of COVID-19 and it was mentioned at that particular meeting yesterday. Liam though making the point, he says, well, if they're looking at Cork, Dublin should be locked down. Dublin has way more cases than Cork. Cork has very little in COVID numbers in comparison to Dublin. They need to look at Dublin if they speak about other areas of the county. And staying with that, because we did mention about bars and pubs and a lot of people asking, will the pubs reopen From that meeting yesterday, it would seem uh, that uh, the, well, Neffet and the government, who of course will decide uh, the 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 fate of pubs open or not, but it looks like that they're going to see how the schools, when the schools are open now, they're going to see how the schools uh, perform over the next number of weeks dealing with the situation and then we'll see what will happen with the pubs from what we can read uh, on our chat with that and our chat with Deputy McBarry is that you won't see pubs opening uh, for the next number of weeks anyhow. Uh, But we wait and see and hear the official confirmation of what will be said. Uh, We're due an announcement today at some point, so when we get that official announcement, we'll bring that to you. Uh, But John says there are a lot of jobs involved in the pub industry. A lot of people are relying on the pubs to reopen so they can start work again. Also, the economy can support another full lockdown so we have to look at that particular industry and how just because a bar is closed it does have a ripple effect on not only the industry in which it operates in but also in the nearby industry and that's something as well that Mark is making the point of here Mark is saying while people are working from home Mark runs a small business in the city and I presume it's a retail maybe a small shop but his point is he's obviously during lockdown he said for the first few months he was actually busy because people were shopping in smaller stores so he was busier than normal but now that things have gone back to normal in the bigger supermarkets there's less queues and all of that he's noticing that office workers aren't back in the city centre for him now he's noticing a downfall in his trade apart from a number that are working from offices and locals his trade is down he reckons by nearly at this stage 40 to 50% some days because the office workers that would come in for a coffee in the morning that would come in and get lunch that would come in and get you know during the day someone might pop out to buy a chocolate bar or get another coffee uh, all of that is gone and he is saying at all of the offices where he is are not going to get them back, the workers that is back into the office until next year. And some are even talking about next summer. So he is worried going into the winter and into the first start of next year what his business will face because he's noticed in the last month and two months a huge downturn in his business due to the lack of office workers. He said he is thankful though that he was busy in March, April and May due to the lockdown, but that has changed now with no office workers back and I suppose people were, a lot of us were going to shops we never might have gone to before uh, because of the supermarkets being so busy, we were choosing to go elsewhere and shop elsewhere and shop in smaller stores because there was less of a queue and some people felt safer, so that was a benefit to Mark, but now he's in a different scenario. Anyhow, uh, thank you for your call on 1850 333 103, text or WhatsApp 086 2103 I have a number of emails into the show as well. I'll get to those shortly but keep your pet questions coming Uh, for Jane that's Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket she'll join us very shortly on the show answering all your pet questions you can call Bernie or Sadie if you have a pet question on 1850 333 103 text or whatsapp 86 2103
1: 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County
2: Council supporting businesses supporting communities serving Cork visit corkcoco.ie.
3: And the drive-in bingo that is taking place tonight in Tio Park at seven thirty, and the NCBI shop in Bandon—they are currently having a massive summer sale for today. Friday and Saturday, so support them if you can there at the NCBI Charity Shop in Bandon. And Knocknagree Parish Penny Dinners Collection that is on this coming Sunday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the GAA Dressing Rooms in Knocknagree. They'll accept home baking, cash donations, and indeed perishable goods all for penny dinners. And Adam Cara Support Group for Bereaved Parents that will return to their group meetings with safety measures in place on Wednesday, the 2nd of September at 7.15 in the Clayton Hotel, Silver Springs and in the Munster Arms in Bandon on Tuesday the 15th of September at 7.15pm. And the West Cork Toastmasters, they are back in action from Saturday the 5th of September and they're doing this via Zoom. So they kick off the new term on Saturday the 5th, the normal time of 11am and they welcome any other Toastmasters members to join with them. Our non-members can also apply for the link to their upcoming meetings to apply for that link and get more info, simply email them westcorktoastmasters at gmail.com. Cork today on C103. Call Patricia
1: with your comment. 1850 333
3: and just catching up on a number of emails that have come into the show over the last number of days, you can email jp at c103.ie. This, first of all, is from Dan, and this is in relation to smart meters uh, from Electric Ireland or the ESB networks, I suppose, are installing them across the, the country at the moment, sir. But Dan has come across a problem, he says, since the installation of his smart meter, which happened six months ago. He is with Electric Ireland and he says since the installation of that meter, his bill has doubled. He has not installed anything extra nor used electricity excessively. Now, the meter, he says, does not show anything pertaining to what has been used apart from the kilowatts reading. At least the old meter rotating the doil, you know, the, the doil that rotates, he said at least when you put on a kettle or a cooker, you could see that moving and that would give you an example... But he has said that he feels without telling its customers that maybe Electric Ireland and others are sliding the scale of costs like different prices for different items of the 24 hour clock. Equally, he said he is asking about the meter cost. They say everything is included in the overall cost of the electricity without saying how much that is. Now, he was looking for advice on this or if anybody has had a smart meter installed recently, have they seen the same thing happening? Had they seen their uh, electricity bill whoever it is with whatever company your electricity is with has your bill increased? If you have had a smart meter installed uh, is asking Dan well Dan we did check this out for Dan we did contact Electric Ireland and ESB Networks on this on the actual issue with ESB networks and the uh, charges they say first of all there is no additional charge for customers or two customers for a smart meter u- upgrade like other meter and electricity infrastructure upgrades the smart meter program costs are included in the existing charges for the use of electricity and the use of the network ESB networks is currently engaged in a procurement process to purchase smart meters for phase 2 which will run from 2021 to 2022 and as a result is not in a position to disclose itemised costs due to their commercial sensitivity. However, as they can't uh, comment further on Dan's specific query due to the lack of information they have on it, they did say that they would speak to Dan directly. So what we did was we got on to Dan and we got on to uh, ESB and we put them in touch and they have spoken and they are working on that uh, situation on why indeed Dan was charged more. He shouldn't have been charged, but they are looking into what happened there and they are communicating with Dan. So uh, that situation hopefully will work in Dan's favour. But just to beware not too sure what happened with Dan uh, but just be aware that is something that you have come across Uh, ESB have contacted Dan and they are working with Dan on that so they they, they, at least they're not ignoring the situation uh, like others might they are working with him and he's happy enough with what the call he got from ESB anyhow we'll keep uh, in touch with Dan on that Uh, on something totally different then this was yesterday we were speaking to residents from the magazine Road and they were obviously Catherine Clancy was the, the resident we spoke to And they're worried about the college year coming up. We heard there from Sergeant James O'Donovan from Bandengarda Station on what he was saying uh, regarding students going back to college for house parties. They're worried and they want landlords to put a clause into all letting and renty agreements to say that basically... You aren't allowed to have a house party, and if you do, you can be kicked out of the house. It will breach your 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 letting rights and your rental clause. Anyhow, with all of that, uh, yesterday a lot of people reacted to that after the show in the afternoon. First of all, an email in from Charles, who says that woman who feels uh, that students should not uh, party uh, or indeed have the uh, the house was have the capability of partying. She feels uh, that the landlords are quite capable of attending to their own business without interference from busybodies. And that woman can't be telling students what to do. Also Morris says, I think that lady was very self-centred, no regards as to how students are supposed to socialise. A student's living accommodation is also a private home so that student, uh, was she in the wrong, uh, suggesting what the students should actually do in their private homes. And when then people started comparing the issue of Phil Hogan what he did to house parties. Joan in says we cannot compare house parties with Phil Hogan and what he did. House parties are held by teenagers. Phil Hogan well, was an EU commissioner and should have known better, says Joan, for those who were comparing uh, yesterday between what happens in the house party situation that we were talking about on the show and indeed what happens in the Galway uh, situation with Golfgate. And uh, finally here, uh, two more. First of all, we have a lot of calls coming in following Tina's email. Uh, this was on parking where her sister uh, got a fine because she was parked in the Mills car park in Douglas and the ticket was up at 8.30. She came back to her car uh, 15 minutes later and unfortunately got a ticket, uh, got fined and basically raising the whole issue of surely within the short period of 15 minutes, could they not have let that be because she was only parking there to support local business in Douglas and now uh, she and others feel they won't park there anymore meaning that they won't be able uh, to support local business and in the time we are in we're being asked to support local business so they cannot do that so with all that in mind she's asking can more leniency uh, be provided in this particular matter well a lot of people have got fines and not happy and we've got so many calls on this we're going to return to this on the show tomorrow and speak with people who have got fines and who have tried to appeal those particular fines some were successful some unfortunately were not we'll hear uh, from those callers on the show tomorrow uh, but on staying with issues to do with the road Willie uh, says this is typical of the council they closed the tower to Carry Pike Road and then they put up Traffic lights on the Tower to Blarney Road. So now there is a holdup in all the directed traffic. No way around it. We have to all now wait. Great management or what? Says Willie on 103 And finally. Uh, Fimber emailed us and this is something that has come up in the last few days also because when we're speaking about going back to school and school transport and bus drivers and you hear about SNAs and teachers in schools asking about their safety returning to the classroom and your parents worried, Fimber says, I was a school bus driver but no, what medical advice is being given to school bus drivers. Most of the drivers are over 60. So what medical advice are they getting while they transport those students, that teachers and SNAs and everybody else is worried about in the classroom, they're transporting them to that particular school. What guidelines were they given, says Finber on email to jp at c103.ie. Your pet questions are welcome to Jane. Jane Pickett from the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket. She joins us next. If you have a question for Jane, get them into us now. You can call Bernie and Sadie 1850-33103 or indeed text or WhatsApp 086-2103-103. Jane will join us next.
1: cork today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086-2103-103. And your pet questions are welcome
3: because Jane Pickett is here uh, from the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. Well, she's not in studio, but she's on the phone anyhow. Good afternoon to you, Jane.
8: Good afternoon. How
3: are you doing? I'm fine and thanks for joining us. And yesterday was International Dog Day. And before we get into the questions we have in there, there was an interesting, uh, famous breeds of Irish dogs were mentioned. But it was interesting to see uh, the type of dogs we keep here in Ireland. I mean, Labrador is still a very popular. Uh, Cocker Spaniel, I think, came out nearly on, on top of our list. And obviously Jack Russell. So uh, we, as a, as a nation, we're dog lovers. But we seem to be going along the same trend over the last number of years when it comes to the type of dogs we do keep.
8: Absolutely, and I think it's really interesting. I think there's the, the good old breeds that are, we see year on year there, like you say, the Labradors, uh, Golden Retrievers, Cocker Spaniels, etc. But I suppose, from uh, the point of view of what we see walking into our clinic, it's really changed in the last few years. So, we're seeing a lot more of, let's say, what we call the the posh cross breeds, which are like the Cocker Poos and the, and the Jugs, things like that. So, really interesting mixes like that. And we're also seeing a little bit of a an increase in let's say the flatter faced breeds and that's a little bit of a worrisome trend because sometimes they can have have struggles with their breathing. So good and good and positive change in some cases but not so good change in others but um, we love seeing them all walking through our doors all
3: shapes and sizes Yeah and yesterday people were sharing their photos on social media of their dogs so good to see that and good to see people caring about dogs Absolutely. we always hear the, the opposite stories I suppose on the show of uh, the mistreatment of dogs so good, good to see that yesterday anyhow for International Dog Day Now let's get into uh, questions that have come in keep those coming 1850 and this is from Chris and Chris is asking uh, he has a female Can he wants to know at what age can he get his cat spayed
8: Okay, so cats can be spayed from quite a young age and I think certainly it's definitely the responsible choice well done for considering that because we have enough kind of uh, unwanted kittens unfortunately in the countryside so it's quite good to to do our bit to control the growing cat population. Um, cats can actually become pregnant quite young in life depending on their development. Some of them can even become as pre- pregnant from as young as four to five months of age. So getting in there quite early is important, but it's a balancing act. So we wanna make sure they're, they're big and bold enough to undergo surgery at that point. So the best thing I would suggest is have a chat to your local vet we all have our own preferences as to to what size or weight we'd like them to reach before undergoing the operation, but normally they will be about five, six months of age. Um, it's never too late to do it as well if your cat's much older, a few years old, or even older than that. It's still a good, really responsible choice to make because they still have the potential to, to give birth and bear litters well into their, their advancing years. So have a chat to your vet. You can get it done nice and early, five, six months as usual, but have a chat to to your local vet about their preferences but um, if we're a little bit older I'd say definitely
3: get it done And we'll stay on cats and uh, this question am not sure how you're going to answer this one but this is to do with Mary who's been on about her cat that keeps killing birds what can she do about her particular cat and I'm sure she's not the only cat that keeps killing birds
8: Oh no, it's a little bit heartbreaking, my heart goes out to you, because I, I once had a had a cat that was very intense on following its instincts and killing small creatures, and I, I hated it. They'd present them to you like a present, uh, a peace offering almost, and it broke my heart. Um, so it's really difficult to stop them, because it is, it is part of their hunting instinct. Ways that you can try and allay the risk to the, the beautiful birds around you are Um, have your cat wear a collar but be really careful with the kind of collar that they wear so make sure that it has a, let's say a safety mechanism where it can snap open very easily because the last thing we want to do is the cat to get stuck and kind of stuck by the neck with the collar on anywhere particularly if they're out and about but to that collar attach not just one belt but many bells. <laughs> yeah, a lot of cat collars would come with one singular bell that makes a nice little tinkle. My cat had five and six bells on it uh, and you know, he'd trot around the house then making an absolute racket. So I used to take it off when he was inside. But it at least gives the birds a little bit of a advance warning so they have a noise because cats are incredibly stealthy, incredibly good hunters. So any kind of warning you can give to the birds is a plus. And also on that note, if you can try and kind of vent a little bit of that hunting instinct in the cat. That would be great. So ways that you can do that are engaging and play with the cat. So there's lots of kind of toys that they can chase or, let's say, little things on a string and a rod that you can play with them and they can pounce and stalk. And it kind of vents their instinctual need to display those behaviours. And it's really good for them because it's great exercise. But you might find that if you play with your cat a bit, it might reduce down the amount of time they spend outside trying to, to vent their hunting instincts and kill all the small small animals. So Yeah, because
3: the cat will sit be the there, won't the they, for, for a long while watching the birds. I mean, they could sit there for a half an hour or more just watching oh, the yeah, birds. Sure. And unless they move, the bed is a good idea because at least the birds will be uh, will be distracted. I, I know there's something nearby. I know where I live, there's a lot of trees behind me and you can see the cats just waiting for, <laughs> for the birds to, to come out.
8: They have the patience of the saints. They really do. They'll try and pick their moments. And they'll just have a steely focus on on whatever creature they're stalking. So they are incredibly good hunters. But yes, they, they do have the gift
5: of patience.
3: Okay, let's go back to dogs on this one. This is Kathleen, uh, Jane. And Kathleen has a Bichon who is 8 years old. Now, the Bichon is biting his toes only over the last week or so. They haven't changed his diet or done anything new like that. So why could this be?
8: Okay, there's a number of reasons for that. Generally, if we see them biting the toes, it's generally that the pet is quite itchy. Um, So usually it's it's like us biting our fingernails. It's the easiest bit that they can reach on their body, if you can imagine that. So a lot of the time the whole body might be itchy, but they'll be able to to vent that a little bit by licking and and biting at their toes. So that's where we normally see it appearing first. It could be behavioral, it could just be boredom, but it's very unlikely in my experience. Usually there's a reason behind it. Now, I think with itching, the best thing to do is cover the basics first. So it sounds like our owner's done a good job in thinking about what's going on in the background so there'd be no changes in diet um, that might cause a skin irritation. But make sure you're up to date on your flea, mite, lice and tick treatment. So depending on what product you use, it might be monthly or up to three months. It really depends on what product you use. So have a chat to your vet if you're unsure. Make sure you're up to date with that because even if you can't see kind of crawling creatures on the surface of the coat, a lot of them will live in the environment. Hop on. Uh, do a little bite cause the, the skin to get very irritated and hop off again so there might be actually very little you can see on the coat as, as a sign that there might be an unwelcome creepy visitor so make sure you're up to date with your, your parasite treatment but what I would say is comfort is the main thing the last thing we want to do is have, have your little dog um, be stressed and, and yourself to be stressed as well about them, them being worried about their feet so I'd visit your vet they may need to do some basic tests or even just a physical exam just to fully assess what the problem is and try and get to the bottom of it for you.
3: Okay, and we'll go back to cats because Mary is in demand now. She has got stray cats. She wants to know if she gets them neutered, will they remain quiet?
8: Mm. <laughs> Potentially, I think the thing is with neutering. Sometimes it can, let's say, calm them down because let's say their testosterone fueled need to to wander around to find the ladies might be a little bit dampened down if they've been uh, if they've been neutered. What I would say is, in my experience, I don't find that it makes a huge difference to their, let's say, their personality. That's one thing people always worry about is a change in their personality. And I I would say, no, it's unlikely. I think a cat being quiet or quite active is, is really generally more personality dependent. But certainly we do know that neutering male cats in particular, as well as the females, can stop them wandering less which is safer for them because a cat wandering along the road is never a very safe thing for them with the traffic. So it's definitely worth doing.
3: Okay, and this is from Avril. Now, Avril has a dog who she feels is heartbroken because her other dog was put down recently. She knows her her own dog now is is, is heartbroken. He keeps whining. He won't eat properly. He used to love milk and he won't drink that either. Uh, Any advice on what you can do in this situation?
8: Uh, This is a really tough one. Um, I really think that we underestimate, certainly, the grieving process in our animals. They definitely go through it very much the same as we do. Um, For that pet and and yourself, it's a tough time because you've both lost a a friend in the household, so there will be an adjustment period. I think it's not unusual to have a pet, let's say, be a little bit off in themselves, maybe not have as fabulous an appetite or not be as wanting to be as active or jolly around the house if they've lost a, a companion, Um, As long as they're otherwise healthy in themselves, it's most likely the grieving process. Just watch out for any warning signs or changes in, let's say, uh, or any signs like vomiting or diarrhea that might signal an underlying illness. But I think it does sound like like grief to me. Things that you can do are try and be a little active, particularly outdoors if you can. Very much like us, going out in the daylight is a really good thing. Um, And certainly going for walks, seeing the great outdoors, a little bit of distraction is certainly no harm for them. It just kind of gives them back their lust for life a little bit. What I would say is it's going to be time. It's just going to take time. And I think one thing I would say is I wouldn't rush into getting another pet straight away. And that's what I see a a lot of people doing sometimes. Certainly once you're ready, absolutely, if that's the decision for you. But I I wouldn't rush to, let's say, get another pet for company for this pet that's all alone now because sometimes that can just change the balance and they may not be ready to have another pet in their household. So just give them time to grieve, spend lots of time with them, a little bit of distraction and, and things should settle down eventually.
3: Okay this is from uh, Ita has a dog now his leg uh, the side of his leg is cut she doesn't know where he cut it or how he cut it he's a Labrador nine years old uh, but while she thought it was healing it looks like the wound has reopened again and it looks like the skin is now disappearing around this particular cut any advice on what she should do she's going to go to her vet but can she do uh, something in the meantime because he doesn't seem to be in pain or anything and is acting as normal but she's worried about this cut and obviously enough worried about infection
8: Absolutely, and I think I, I'd be right there with her. I'd be concerned about infection, depending on what depending on what you're saying. Um, certainly if a wound is initially healed and then reopens again, that's one thing we'd always be worried about. But also if the wound's on the leg, if you imagine it's like being on our leg, it's in a, an area where there's going to be a lot of motion and a lot of tucking and pulling on the skin. So it's always a little bit more difficult to heal when it's on a limb rather than on the body. So what I would say is, definitely you're making the right decision. Go to the vet. I, w- I would say... I'd, I'd get an appointment to ASAP if you can just to put your own mind at rest and to make sure your pet is comfortable I think if there is an open wound it's likely that he is experiencing a bit of discomfort it's it's like ourselves really but dogs and cats are incredibly stoic animals they'll just kind of motor on and get on with it for as long as they can until they're really really uncomfortable so I, I would certainly prioritise going to your vet to get it dealt with just for comfort sake and to make sure things don't deteriorate further
3: OK, and I suppose that again when she's worried about infection the risk that that could set in doesn't mean it always will set in either Jane when there's a cut exactly. but the risk is it could set in
8: Exactly, it could do and I think certainly if there is any hint of infection there and normally that would be something we'd see as a little bit of oozing or discharge but sometimes we might not see that and your vet will be the best person to judge that um, but certainly if, if a wound is reopened again we'd always worry if something making the skin a bit more fragile and very very commonly, it's infection that's making the skin a bit more fragile. So I, I think it needs to it
3: needs to be dealt with. Okay, Jane. For the moment, thank you for that. We'll chat to you again. And next Thursday, that is Jane Pickett there of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, answering your pet questions this Thursday. My thanks to Bernie and Sadie working on the show today. I'll chat to you tomorrow morning from ten a.m. I'm John Paul McNamara. Enjoy your Thursday afternoons.
1: Planning for your next trip.